Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to an extra wild and untamed edition of Thrush and Treasure, the Torture Chamber Musical Comedy Podcast that leaves a pop culture icon fused with delicious heavy metal and devilish musical theatre. And speaking of confused, wait, where was I? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm Aaron and I'm joined <laughs> as usual by the monster I created with flour, water, a pinch of salt, a dash of sass and a whole lot of vanilla because he's Evan the Metal Man. Hey, hey. How's it going? <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Hey, yeah, you forgot the improver and the gluten, but we'll be fine. Oh, okay. Uh, anyways, guess what? What? Refer to next page. Oh yeah. Anyways, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> What? We have a record-breaking diva in the lab today, so we're all dressed up with no place to go. Thankfully, because this Welsh-born, Kiwi-raised icon carved out an incredibly colourful career that's catapulted this quiet kid into the consciousness of crowds across a couple of countries and continents, like how he blew into Putnam County like a leaf and created a buzz at the Spelling Bee that left Rosencrantz and Guildenstern for dead which let the merry sun shine down on that superstar Jesus Christ. And whether as high as Hushabye Mountain or as low as Frankie Valley, when you're in town, you're Oliver Town. Luckily, letting this likeable larrikin's lauded longevity and luscious looks leave a lasting legacy that's allowed this luminous lad to liberate in the laboratory of aliens for this week's chosen music cult. So it is with absolute pleasure that we zap a huge Kiwi Kiora across to the UK, along with some terrible thrills, like his stints in Rent, The Wizard of Oz, Armadeus, The Cripple of Inishman, which sparked this holy fire of love into giving more blazing performances than you can poke the fantastics at rendering us two aussie hot dogs hot and flustered because we're royally bursting with anticipation and excitement to be joined by the king queen and crown prince of the court theater where he was thrown into hamlet and the queen and i and antony and cleopatra and caesar and cleopatra plus a dozen (laughs) more productions but i dozen Want to waste any more time in welcoming to the torture chamber for some shock treatment, our first record-breaking guest, which makes him a cherry poppin' baddie, since he's been seen in Richard O'Brien's Rocky Horror Show a whole six times as the narrator, plus he's donned the fishnets, panties and corset over 40 times as Dr. Frank N. Furter, not to forget the minor 70 times as Brad Majors, But none of those dudes compared to the 1800 plus times he's done the time warp as master servant Riff Raff, totaling over 2000 performances. Oh, greedy. But that (laughs) definitely makes me want to take Charles Atlas by the hand as we welcome to the torture chamber this international icon whose wig a day keeps the evil doctor away. So we're bitching in the kitchen and crying in the bedroom with the electrifyingly talented Mr. Christian Lavacombe. We are not worthy. Welcome to the torture chamber. How are you going? Oh my God. I think I need to sit down after that. I mean, that that is that is literally the most amazing intro I've ever had. Normally people just say hi. <laughs> yep. That is quite the honor because in Rocky Horror, you have been introduced by Stephen Fry, Emma Bunton, oh, yeah. Anthony Stewart Head. <laughs> But Newton, like, legends have introduced you. It's true, but you win. You absolutely win. <laughs> well, my um, ego just exploded. 
They didn't give Stephen Fry, you know, eight and a half minutes. I think now in retrospect, those others really underestimated me. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But I, I did warn you, it was very silly. And I, I try to warn all my guests just so they know what they're in for. And I don't think anyone knows what they're in for. No, I have absolutely no idea. No, which is funny because the show that you do, I'm, I'm sure has been seen by the same people over and over and over again who do know what they're in for enough to call back to you guys. Although, do you know, even with Rocky Horror, people are often like, I really enjoyed that, but I have no idea what it was about. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I've got a question about that. So we'll get to that because <laughs> I think it is, um, there's a bit of interpretation involved there, but we'll do that in the, the second segment where Evan's going to review it. Uh, but for now, how are you going? I believe you've just been on holidays. I have. I've been in wonderful Barcelona for the oh, week. Wow. But I'm coming to you now from the docks in Aberdeen. Scotland? Yes, there's, I'm looking out my window here. There's a humongous ship uh, straight outside the window. And uh, so that's where I'm coming to you today. I had no idea you were in Scotland. Now, funnily enough, last night, for absolutely no reason at all, just for my own boredom, I was singing Rocky Horror in the thickest Scottish brogue I could. So now I know why I was doing that absolutely moronic thing. On my There's own. obviously some some connection there, but you know. Yeah, usually I do things with a real sort of deep Aussie, real blokey accent, and I'll do like Les Miserables in that accent just on my own. Every single week of my life, it seems, I'm in a different city. Yep. I haven't been in the same city since June last year for longer than seven days. Oh, wow. In the UK, that means every week is a different accent. So you'd have your work cut out. Half of me is jealous and the other half is thankful it's you, it's not me. Uh, but anyways, but we're going to move on to the metal album. So first up, if you were a rock star, because obviously you're doing Rocky Horror, what would be in your ultimate rock star rider? I would want, because I'm often asked to do vocal acrobatics, you know, or I have to sing ridiculous things all the time. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should be in a vapor chamber. That's what I would like. I'd like a vapor chamber uh, that's just sprayed mist at me the whole time. That is awesome. That is much more um, ridiculous than a goat. <laughs> what would be in riffraffs, do you think? Um, I, I mean, prob- probably the blood of virgins, I would imagine. <laughs> that would also be in mine, funnily enough. Uh, It's no surprise that Rocky Horror raised me. (laughs) Anyways, we're going to move on to the metal album. And this week I chose the album because I looked for Welsh metal bands, of which there were very, very few. So before we get into it, I'm going to quickly read through my review. Now, this is a cold read. God help us all. When I first saw the cover, I wondered, what did I ever do to myself to deserve this? I'm a good person. Why do I hate me so? So I hit the triangular button on the Spotify experience and the easy sleazy beat instantly had me bopping my head. Ugh, good on me. And then the shirtless Norse warrior leapt up with his sword exposed and the heroic vocals from the troglodytes, whatever, lead warrior somehow found his way into my fantasy's heart. Shit, I meant to say heart. As Troubadour's lead warrior found his way into my fantasies, damn it. Moving on, as the music does with a 29-minute track coming in second, well, when you take so long, no wonder you finish last. Somehow, though, Trudy's song, The Alchemist, managed to take the progression from the first track and slow it down without ever becoming boring. 
As a power ballad moment happens before the speed kicks in, there are peaks and valleys here, I can feel it in my soul. Wave the Warrior continued the epic LARPing feel of the previous tracks, but reminded me of more well-known bands in other genres in several parts. Richard III was the fourth girl by... Battle of Bosworth started gently with an almost hungover slash morning of regret feeling before Trampoline's signature 40-year-old virgin nerds about to get laid sound kicked in. Sorry, that was mean. I don't mean to get any virgin's hopes up. No one's getting laid till you clean your room. Anyways, <laughs> the 6th, 7th and 8th tracks all kept this lapable vibe, which we've all heard before, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. But here there is something cohesive. Almost as if we were hearing a story being told by Tutti Fruity. If only I paid attention to lyrics. Three and a half stars. Edging on a four, though. It was a bit repetitive, but there was a through line. It was cohesive and never boring. But fuck Richard Three, that should be the third track. There is a three, and then why do metal bands keep doing this to me? (laughs) And I liked the bonus track as well. And that uh, which way to go could have been a radio hit in the age of Oasis. Oh, okay. They were about 10 years too early then. Well, before their time, you know, they were ahead of the game. Exactly. Mm. But apparently this was their only album, according to Evan. Yeah. Because, well, you, well, okay, there is a story to it, but. Yeah. Who are they? I can't say their name. I don't know how to pronounce it. You say it quickly. It's just Tredegar. Tredegar. Yeah. Uh, I've heard a few different pronunciations. Tredegar. Yeah, there's like Tredegar. Tredegar. This is very bizarre, but I'm sure there was a boy in my class in school that was called Tredegar. Okay. Well, it is It is a town. It's the name of a town oh, is it? in Wales. Yeah. Uh, just to clarify, I did get that right, didn't I, Christian? Because my head at the moment is swimming with facts about everyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did my primary school in Wales, was born in Wales, and then I, uh, my family emigrated to New Zealand. Yeah, awesome. Oh, I did the exact opposite. I did primary school in New Zealand and then emigrated to Australia. Oh. Yeah, as soon as Christian arrived, Evan got the hell out of there. He's <laughs> <laughs> gone. Uh, but, yes, you've, you've plucked a, just a random Welsh band just because they're Welsh. You don't know me. They, they were funny. They were formed in, in 82. Who was it? Tony, Tony Borge, Ray Phillips, and Ross North. Um, now, okay. the, they were... Um, they were funded by the government as like a musical initiative to get more Welsh music out there. And they literally paid these guys like 40 pound a month, uh, 40, 40 pound a week, sorry, to, you know, be a band. They were, it was a, get, got them off the dole and put them on government funding somehow. The arts work. The, well, they did one album, but yeah, but yeah, they were funding the arts and they got one album out of them. And now, how many years later, some dickhead in Australia is reviewing their music but actually enjoyed it? Like, I would listen again. They were actually not bad. I mean, they were quite, yeah. you know, Iron Maiden sounding with the vocals. Yeah. Um, which, funnily enough, Ross North, who's the lead singer, he did later audition for Iron Maiden when Bruce Dickinson went and did his solo thing. And he apparently was in the top two contenders of replacing Bruce Dickinson, but he never actually did. He ended up going back to his his other band called Cloven Hoof after Tredegar, who he stayed with until 2012, where he was fired for being blind drunk. Literally could not stand for a show. The drama continued on. They've done a lot of different lineup changes. Um, they have did eventually break up in 93. There is apparently another album somewhere. I cannot see it. I can't find it. I don't know. 
but the drummer it ended up the drummer was the only one who stayed with it the whole way through they went through like four different guitarists four different bass players four different uh singers and funnily enough the singer on this album is not ross north he only sang one song oh okay previous singer actually recorded the album um whose name was Carl Sentence. So you are, are you saying the, the really amazing singer that almost become a, you know, a legendary rock star mm. didn't sing on the album? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he sung one song. I'm not sure which song it was either. Uh, so this, this industry is brutal, Evan, and this is what happens in the arts, that you can be so close mm. and you're so incredibly far and just miss out on, on the biggest opportunities ever while everyone else gets to sail away it's brutal it's surprising really because like they were pretty good yeah like they're all good musicians he could certainly sing the song the songs weren't crap Uh, they put out an album that's decent and uh, i don't know they just didn't it didn't catch on and they just they had a good crack but no they didn't go anywhere unfortunately yeah they put in the work and they they played the gigs and but yeah they never i don't think they ever got out of the pubs much and and yeah and by 93 that all that all moved on um a couple of the other guys are are playing in different bands here and there but nothing nothing i'd heard of and yeah yeah. oh good on them for giving it a crack and good on the the welsh government for funding it amazing yeah i'm gonna give them a four stars out of pity There we go. I changed that score. Now, yeah, now. yeah, I quite liked it. It was good. It was good. Yeah, no, it was. It was fun. It was, it was never boring. That's even the ballady bits. The the power ballads weren't ever boring. Yes, and I. Uh, it makes me feel very Welsh. Yep. Like <laughs> it makes me very proud to be Welsh. You know, so I sometimes I get to choose whether I'm Welsh or New Zealand. And today, I am definitely Welsh. It's, it's funny because I got a real Norse sort of Scandinavian feel from the music. The lyrics, I have no idea. I'm far too scatterbrained for that. Especially listening to what else? What else have we been listening? Alita Ford, I've had to listen to, and um, not Alcatraz. What are they called? Anthrax. Anthrax, which we're doing tomorrow yes. night. So the fact that I could even get through any review, um, yeah, no, I got Norse from it. Yeah, well, it was that era, you know. Everyone's you know, with your Man of War and Iron Maidens. They're all riding unicorns, shirtless, weren't they? Do you think maybe that's where they went wrong? You know, if they actually went back into the, you know, Welsh warrior thing, then maybe, you know, that would have been their point of difference. Possibly, yeah. Mm, yeah, I think I think sounding too much like Iron Maiden was a bit of an issue. <laughs> yeah. Look, we've discussed that before, though, with bands with their first album. You hear the influences of, you know, who came before and who inspired them to pick up an instrument. And if they had had a second album, I wonder what direction they would have gone and if they would have tapped into that Welsh. Yeah, well, apparently there is a second album, but I could not find it. I couldn't even find a name of it. Well, let's start doing Um, some emailing, Evan. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, they can't be that hard to track down. You know, Wales is a small, small country. Mm. Yeah. yeah it's a shame there there are so many artists out there though that that you know they put out an album or two and you know that now these days they're in a in a shoe shop selling shoes doing retail or, or you know building houses you know the amount of people who sort of go back to normal life 
it's brutal in australia especially um who was mm. it they've had to during the pandemic go to learn real estate and become a real estate agent just to get by like that that's not remotely unusual no i don't know what it is about actors in real estate or performers in real estate i know i have at least four actor friends who've um, moved to the other side of real estate in the past couple of years so you know maybe it maybe it's a common thing it's um seeing themselves on a billboard <laughs> sorry i take that back that was really bitchy i'm sorry actors i have so much love and respect or i would not do this show do you know what it's not about the actors it's about the real estate agents and those billboards yes definitely yeah because think mm. about it you get your own billboard when you're a real estate agent well, at least they do in america not so much in australia they do in new zealand oh do they but Definitely have their own billboards. I love the letterboxes, especially around Taronga and Auckland area that are big plastic tubs. They're like big giant dog kennels. <laughs> and I don't know why. I just, I loved every minute of it. But it was so funny just to, to segue away from the music quickly, driving through Auckland and I was amazed at how red all the trees were. All right. And I'm sitting in the back seat of the car and my best friend's in the front. And I'm just sitting there like, man, the trees here are so goddamn red. And they turn to me and they go, take your fucking sunglasses off. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering what the hell you were talking about. Oh, my God, fathers, because they're dark. They're not red ones. They're just tinted slightly (laughs) red and I have no idea what I was thinking, but anyways, now I, I think this was a, this album was a success overall, surprisingly. Mm. It was just a, it was a random pick. Yeah. Yep. No, that's but yeah, uh, you didn't pick crap, which is nice. Well, that makes one of us. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> do, you, do you think there are bands like this that you know had a very unsuccessful album that were might have been very very good, and then somehow twenty years later? You know, they found a new audience. Possibly. Yeah. Do you think this is one of those bands that could make a little resurgence? Yeah. As far as I know, they're all still alive. Uh, yeah. I don't see why not. You could, you can, I don't know. I don't know if they would get out of the pubs much, but there was, there's certainly a career there of nostalgia, you know, rock, nostalgia, metal, you know, get the cod piece back on. Go on, fellas. If we are still talking about Rick Astley today, anything can happen. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I need to say. Anyways, uh, where's my pun? Uh-oh. Where's your segue? Come on. I'm looking for it. It's I throw my pages around. Do you know that? Uh looks like the 40-year-old virgins are gonna get laid <laughs> to rest. So we can go to an ad break. Okay, that was mean again. This summer, winter, spring, or fall, the first ever musical theater sitcom where you go behind the scenes of the latest West End show, The Fosse Forest Ballet. Where's the important stuff? Aha! A thousand pound a week ensemble rate. Ah, that's what Mamma Mia likes. Starring Philip Joel and a West End cast featuring Carrie Alice, Darren Denny, Louise Demon, and Oliver Savile, and more. It all started in 1987 when I was a jobbing actress working in a diner. Yeah, it's just I, I had a really bad experience when I was touring Australia with a wombat. <gasps> Darling! Mwah! 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 How long have I been mentoring you? Three months? 
two years. So her name is Henrietta? The horse. Yes. I've managed to secure you an audition for the biggest, most innovative and the latest show to be going into the West End. Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Think more along the lines of Pant. Frozen. You can watch this episode for the price of a coffee. Simply go to www.thefussyforestbelly.com. Any and all profits go back to theatre charities, acting for others, and the theatre's trust. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll see a grown man in sparkly tights. Tight nights. Nice. Tight. Well, we're back with Fresh and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we are joined by the remarkable, like, goodness gracious me, the voice on this guy, Christian Lavacombe, who has been travelling the world for I don't know how many years now. As long as we've been following each other on Twitter, I know that much. In Rocky Horror... Eternity. Absolute eternity. 2,000 performances. What? Goodness gracious me. Oh, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't even imagine that. Next week, I'm going to get into real estate. Yeah. <laughs> so you've, you've left your mark now. You've left some, you know, an, an actual unique <laughs> legacy that it'll take a while for someone to beat that, I think. Uh, yeah, they'd, ha- they'd, ha- they'd have to be pretty crazy to try and beat it. I reckon. And I think... With this particular production that you're in, uh, the it's the, the 40th anniversary production, if memory serves me correct, that's been going for a while and it's toured around and around and around in circles pretty much. And I think that's quite fascinating yeah. for a show that, given its storied history, and we'll get into that, or hopefully Evan will get into that, um, as well as they did with whatever their name was, um, the band's, Right, the the fact that it it is still resonating with audiences, it is still it, no one's look at how people loved Dear Evan Hansen one minute, and then the movie came out, and it was like fuck Dear Evan Hansen, <laughs> you know. There was this huge disparity between the two, and even today with the news about Wicked is going to be two movies, suddenly it's not good enough. Like you've been demanding a wicked film for years, and now you get two. Oh, as in two separate ones? Yeah, yeah like a part one and a part two. What's going on? I don't read the news. Well, I don't either. I don't either. But what I saw was people bitching and moaning about it, and I'm like, oh, what's going on here? Can we put all the funding into one really good one? They could, yes, <laughs> but they're not. Okay. I'm assuming maybe it's just too long. I'm. They just can't fit it into one film. I'm guessing. Yeah, I think they're they're expanding a little bit on her childhood or whatnot or sort of her birth. And that may take up a whole 10 minutes of even longer of a film when in a musical they can do that in a 45-second song. (laughs) But in a film it's a little bit different. They always cut out a lot of those smaller songs that are quite often really good. Uh, But anyways, we're going to get on to Rocky Horror, which is one of my all-time favourites. It is this... It raised me. I was forced fed it from birth. No joke. I have no memory of ever watching it for the first time. There is a lot of things I could tell you the first time I saw it and where I was or who I was with. I have no memory of ever watching this for the first time. That's how long it's always been in my life. Uh, In 1992, when I was seven years old, I've told this on the show before and in a post-Me Too world, I'm going to hide my face. 
but you can ask her. She will laugh her head off. Uh, 1992, I was seven years old with my girlfriend, Katie. We were in class, so in school, in grade two, and we were performing songs from Rocky Horror, and we decided to do Touch Me, and I got in big trouble for touching her little non-boobies as (laughs) seven-year-olds, and... We talk about it now, like we think it's the funniest thing. Oh, it still wouldn't be cool now. I wouldn't know. It wouldn't be cool now, but you ask her. Right? You can. I'm going to obviously let her know about this episode. And then skip forward nearly 30 years later and I'm raising my nephew and we're in Universal Studios in Japan and it's raining. It's really warm though, but everyone's off on the footpath and suddenly time warp blasts through. And so we got on the path and we were rock and roll dancing all the way along the path while all these Japanese people were taking photos and video of us. <laughs> the only time as an adult that I've ever been in drag was as Frankenfurter as an 18, 19 year old. I went to a party and happened to see an old childhood friend of mine who I did my first show with. So that was really embarrassing. I thought no one I knew would be there. Now I've never seen it live ever. I've grown up with it, what? but I have oh. never, ever wow. seen it live. I've missed that many productions, including how? yours, Christian, twice. How How is that possible? I, I look, I've wanted to see every one of them. It's just timing, really. I think <laughs> the last time you were here, I was travelling. I think I might have been on the ocean, so that's where my money went that time, unfortunately. Times beforehand, I couldn't tell you. There was an amazing original production in... 2007 2008 in australia with iota yes as frankenfurter that had a real original does not that other productions are unoriginal but it had a real gothic flamboyant look to the costumes that yes i'm i'm familiar with it yeah i I really wish i could have seen that one well i'm gonna blow christian's mind even further yeah whereas i had not seen it at all yeah up until last week I know. And this is something like literally in nappies. I had my cherry popped. I'm no longer a virgin. Yeah. Because I've now seen the film. Awesome. And the pro shot and the other pro shot. And I started to watch the sequel. Yeah. But I have not finished. I have that on VHS. (laughs) Where it is. I I got it for maybe a dollar when years ago when there was video shops. Now, just lastly on it, um, I didn't know if I was going to talk about this, but as I say, it had a huge impact on my childhood. And I've talked about it before. I've joked about it that I used to dress up as a girl. And obviously, Frankenfurter was a huge, um, not influence in my life, but he was a huge icon, really. And I didn't know any better. I was just enjoying life. We're having all these arguments at the moment about children that I was. Children don't need you guys fighting over them to protect them. They need some fucking understanding. That's all I'm going to say on the matter. On that note, Evan. Yes. If you didn't like this, you're off my show for good. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll hope I'll keep you happy here. Look. All right. I have my newspaper. I'm ready to go. You didn't even see that, did you? Sorry. Yeah, go. Oh, my God. Sorry. I said I have my news, baby. Oh, wow. Good on you. Yeah. Your audience participation. We'll get to that. <laughs> I, I have my toilet paper. Yeah. I, I have my piece of toast. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I even have my water pistol. We are, we are sorted. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I didn't see any of that, but go. Oh, for uh, you know, I barely look at the screen because I, I can see myself. I went toasted toast for nothing. I mean, the, 
The true test is, are you wearing fishnets? No, I don't own, we don't own fishnets, unfortunately. No, wow. I, haven't, I haven't got any. But yeah, so up until last week, I had, obviously I'd heard of Rocky Horror. I think everyone's heard of Rocky Horror. I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen any shows of it. My wife has seen it. She yeah. saw it in, in the early 90s. Oh, with Gina Riley. Gina Riley was in that one. I'm not sure. Pro shot you sent me that was 2015. Yes. So apparently it hasn't hasn't changed a hell of hasn't, a lot. Oh, okay. No. So it probably was it probably was Christian. Oh no, back then. Possibly. No. 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 Oh, I thought he's been doing it for that long. Uh yeah, but not quite that long. <laughs> not quite that long. Okay. All right. So apparently this thing was originally what 1975, which makes it now 47 years old. The movie was 75. Yeah, the stage show is a, is a few years before that, a couple of years before that, because the stage show is hitting its 50th next year. Oh wow! Right. Yeah. So it was on stage for what two years before it was turned into a film. Yeah, which is pretty quick, really, isn't it? That is very fast, isn't it? Yeah. Considering it was only meant to be playing for three weeks, that's what its, its original run was, and it was only in like a 60-seater theater. It wasn't like it mm. was had any sort of illusion of going to, I'm going to be a huge show, but it, it just uh, took off. But yeah, in, in, in doing my research, you know, you've, the, the film was a spectacular flop, <laughs> funnily enough. Yeah. Yeah, until they started doing the midnight showings and, and yep. getting all the outcasts and, you know, getting the, the, the night owls out. To, to go and see it and it, it just caught on and word of mouth and yeah started to become a bit of a cult classic um i can i can easily say that no musical has done what rocky horror has done it, it broke out into the mainstream with yeah. obviously with time warp i knew time warp I, I i'd heard of it you know just yeah. just the fact that i'd heard of it and i knew the song and then there was a dance attached to the song. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you've got Macarena type popularity. We have one here. Sorry, just on that. We have one here where we do the let's do the time. Well, no one at home can see that. Let's do the time off again. That's not the time warp. That's just us in Australia. Like we've got our own nutbush city limits dance. Fair enough. I don't know where it came from. Okay. But do you know what? Do you know what? That's pretty similar to what it is all over the world. Oh, is it? Uh, oh. Yeah, I've... because everyone seems to have their own version of the, of the time warp, but it's all pretty similar. Okay. It's all pretty similar because, I, you know, I have, I have seen quite a few audiences do the time warp with me. You know, they all have their little signature moves, but it's all pretty similar. Oh, wow. And I, I don't know where that comes from either. I guess maybe it must, it must come from the movie, surely. Yeah, but the, it's not in the movie though. They don't do that in the movie. They do no, do that. Sorry, it is. It is the weird. jumping and the, the How do they know? Yeah, I, I, it's, and I've, we've always done it. The instruction, the instructions are in the song itself, of course. You know. Yeah. True. Jump to the left. Jump to the jump to the left. Step to the right. Hands on the hips. Knees in tight. So you know, you have got instructions there, so you can't go too far wrong. No, but we do. We throw our arms up in the air and then in front of us crossed over yeah. and then we shimmy down for some. Why are we shimming down? Oh, they do kind of shimmy <laughs> in the choreography. Right. But anyway, sorry, Evan. Anyway, yeah, I, I was basically saying, yeah, I was basically saying that no musical, I don't think any other musical has done anything close to what Rocky Horror has done. Um, like I said, breaking out of the mainstream with with Time Walt song and the, and the dance attached to it, however yeah. you want to do that dance. Um, now, damn it, Janet had, became a saying in popular culture i i had heard yep. damn it janet didn't know it was a song didn't know it was from rocky horror so you know it's broken out um the show itself sparking like a sexual revolution 
with you with your transvestite characters um starting a cult following with rabid fans mm-hmm. that are greater than i've ever seen like i'm i would consider myself a trekkie i'm a bit of a hoovian i love doctor who love star yeah. trek and those fans don't come close to the rocky horror fans no. it's like if you got all the trekkies to all rally around one film and go and see it over and over and over and over yeah like, that hasn't happened with anything else that i firefly can it happened with firefly that's the last time that a single <laughs> entity has sparked such a reaction yeah nah for 47 years you still have the audience showing up with their paper and their toilet paper and their freaking bits of toast. It's the longevity of it. It's the yeah. longevity of it. People are still completely obsessed. And I think part of it is for, for Rocky Horror fans, it's a way of life. It's like, you know, they're covered in Rocky Horror tattoos when, you know, they have conventions where there's just Rocky Horror fans. They all go back to Oakley Court where it was filmed. There's a big, huge picnic every year where uh, everybody dresses mm. up as all the fans and goes along. Yeah. They're absolutely obsessed and they are the reason it just keeps on going and it, they keep on giving it life, which yeah. is great. Yeah. I think the only thing that, that comes sort of, that it reminded me a lot of Monty Python fans. Definitely. I, I think there's definitely a crossover there, but there's all, I think there's also a crossover with Trekkie fans and also Doctor Who fans with Rocky mm. Horror. They are, Rocky, uh, Rocky Horror fans also seem to be fans of those other things. They love a bit of sci-fi. They love a bit of weirdness. And uh, they get off on the quirky side of things. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't see, maybe just personally, I don't see a lot of Trekkies or Doctor Who fans reenacting scenes like they would with Monty Python <laughs> or, or certainly with, with Rocky Horror. No. True. Well, we don't know what goes on in the bedroom, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't think there's anything like it. The the Rocky Horror fans are just uh, in a world of their own. Fascinating. They're, they're just a cut above every other fan. It's it. Yeah, it was blowing me away watching the yeah. documentaries. Rocky Horror fans are the original cosplayers. Mm. I think that's what it is. They were cosplayers 20, 20, 30 years before cosplaying was even a word. I think. I think they started the whole thing of dressing up and coming along and reenacting everything. I think, and now it's suddenly become popular for all these kind of different kind of sci-fi kind of things of people dressing up like the characters. And yeah, but you know, they were way ahead of the game. Now, Evan, I have a memory of walking across my room saying, "Someone's fans are the original stands." Was I talking about Rocky Horror? I have no idea what you're talking about. Was I talking to you? I think I was. I must have been. Yeah, I said it to you the other day that Rocky Horror fans are the original stands, the diehard fans, because that's this is what it stemmed. Like, this the popularity rose from those midnight screenings, from the fans coming back for more, bringing more people in, and it exploded. And now it's a, a beloved classic. Yeah, and it, I think it's it's the return fans as well. We yeah. Got, again, I was watching documentaries. You got like the the president of the fan club at least at least up until a few years ago, sitting there going, oh, yeah, I've seen it 1,300 times. The going, down the, um, the going down the queue of people waiting to go in, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, 600 times, 347 times, this is my 125th time. It's like, oh, my God, I can't. I, I, it, just, it just blows me away how obsessive the fans are. And I've never seen it <laughs> once live. And you haven't seen it. It is amazing when you think, because I, I definitely have people with a show who said, you know, I have seen this show 
you know, 500 times. And that's not even the movie. I mean, a, a ticket to a theater show is way more expensive than a movie. Yeah. And you've got, you've seen it that many times. <laughs> it's insane. The amount of times that you played Riff Rap or, or the show itself, could you say that you've done Rocky Horror more than anybody? Yeah, I, I have. You have. You're the king of Rocky Horror. Yeah. And I, I, I think um, there is... A Rocky Horror fan that has noted every person who's ever done Rocky Horror. And he has, he sent me a spreadsheet with a, a list of everybody's performances and how many they'd done and what characters they played. There's a top 100. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I've, su- I've somehow managed up at number one. I don't know how that happened. I know, because you are fucking amazing in the role mm. christian you really really are and i have to ask that high note when at the end during the floor show when you come out frank and further it's all over how tight are your undies to hit that note because holy shit <laughs> well i think in rocky horror everybody's undies are tight but oh. yeah but mine are the tightest yeah that that just that takes some work goodness gracious me Speaking of, speaking of work, poor whoever is playing Rocky, I I feel for Rocky to keep that level of what two percent body fat going. <laughs> that is some hard work, and to be a requirement of the role. I mean, even the film. I don't know. He was dangerously low body fat just for that film. You can't keep yeah. that up. You can't keep that up. Yeah. Okay. So Christian, what's the meaning? behind the rocky horror to you after having done it so many times what's the meaning behind the show to you what's your takeaway from it personally it's a really good question and you know when you're so immersed in it after a while (laughs) after a while you know it all blurs and you you don't really sort of think about it too much anymore but you know when when richard o'brien wrote rocky horror he wrote it he was inspired by all those B horror films and all those, um, you know, those sci-fis where it was all really over the top. And when he when he wrote Rocky Horror, he wrote all the he took all he stole all the best bits from all those things and rolled them into one mishmash of um, um, of sci-fi films and horror films. And um, so he's taken all the best bits. And what's do you know what's come away from that? No matter how you do it. The whole entire show is basically Richard O'Brien's personality. Oh, is it? It's like, yes, he epitomizes Rocky Horror, which is be whoever you want to be, do whatever you want to do, don't care what anybody else thinks, and and live your life by that. And he is the epitome of that. He does live his life by that. And if you meet Richard, uh, you know, he he is a true rock star of a man. He, he is just turned 80, but, you know, he'll be there in his cowboy boots and his tights and his ballet cardigan and um, looking like a complete rock star. I go, oh, nobody else could have written Rocky Horror apart from you. And it becomes really obvious. And to me, Rocky Horror is lots of different things. But, you know, the message I take away from it is certainly... I think a lot, to a lot of people that come from it, they find their tribe with Rocky Horror. You know, a lot of Rocky Horror fans might, you know, not be very conventional people and uh, they might be slightly different. And um, and when they come to Rocky Horror, 
they really find their tribe and find other people like themselves. And suddenly, you know, the meek shall inherit. Suddenly people who are unusual and different are suddenly celebrated. And um, yeah, for me, that's what Rocky Horror is. And that's why it continues to uh, be relevant. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea if that actually answered your question. <laughs> no, that's fine. If you don't dream it, be it. Yes. There you go. I actually found, what I found interesting was the difference in Frankenfurters between the movie and the musical. Like the, the Frankenfurter in the movie, the, the Tim Curry Frankenfurter, he seemed quite sort of selfish and jealous, and self-centered. Whereas the musical Frankenfurter is more, I don't care who you are or what you are, as long as it feels good type type of the character yeah i think there's a i don't know i guess i just feel the stage has a different message than the film well do you know what with the stage it can be frankenfurter can be different in every production so depending on how they direct it um it can be different but you know there is there is a tendency to um make the frankenfurters different from tim curry because tim curry's performance was so spectacular <laughs> so perfect that um, if anyone is sort of close to that performance, then they naturally will compare them to Tim Curry. So I think you have to be a little bit different so that people sort of, you know, uh, imagine that character as that character rather than go, oh, well, that person it didn't do it like Tim Curry did it. It's uh, a really hard task to be a Frankenfurter for the, because people have such high expectations of what it is. So, you know, you always need to find an actor that completely goes for gold and finds that finds their own version the thing the thing is everybody everybody would love to be especially the fans would like love to feel like they're part of the production to be honest when when they do all the, when they do all the call outs and stuff like that in the in the stage show which is a really a big part of it these days then they are part of the production and that's why i think that's the reason why they keep on coming back yeah that, that was the one thing i found surprising with with watching the pro shot is how much the crowd uh, not just being interactive but nearly takes control yeah uh, there's a fine line there <laughs> because you've got marks to hit you've got a time schedule to keep and you yeah. you can't let the crowd you know take things too far go you know get in the way as such you know, that's a hard one to balance, I'm sure. It is a skill and you've got to let them do their thing, but then you still also got to take back control. And, uh, you know, it, it does become challenging, especially on a Friday and Saturday night when people have had, <laughs> when, you've, when you've got 3,000 people who have all been drinking for the last few hours and they're having the best night and suddenly they realise they're allowed to shout out then yeah. <laughs> you know you'll get you'll get people who maybe don't know the production so well that will just decide to shout out anything at any time and you know then it becomes a bit of a problem but um then the actors have to take back control which mm. you know it can be raucous it can be completely raucous at times but fun now obviously um rocky horror is an exciting show and your character is you know running around lots or whatnot but um doing it so often and well any actor who does the one part for so long they all run the risk of falling into complacency or to falling into any sort of traps does the audience calling back help you avoid that because it keeps you on your toes a little bit more than say 
you know, um, Susan Lucci doing All My Children. I mean, the audience do keep it fresh and interesting because, you know, you, every show is completely different because of them. Because, you know, they shout out different things at different times and some people will shout out new things that you've never heard before. But I don't think that's the reason I, I haven't got complacent with it. I think the reason is I'm a bit of a nervous person. So I always get a bit nervous. And when you've got, you're a bit nervous, the adrenaline keeps on going. And I always feel like it's my opening night. So um, I think it's because of my temperament. <laughs> wow. That's actually a really good strategy for kids out there to learn is to treat every performance like opening night. Doesn't matter if it's a Tuesday evening or a Friday evening. Go out with that that same excitement. That's true. I, I never actually get bored with it. And yeah. but sometimes you'll you'll find actors that get bored after opening night. As soon as they do opening night, they're like, oh well, that's the excitement gone. Yeah. Don't stick around for long. They stick around to get nominated for awards, Christian. <laughs> that's why they're sticking around. Anyways, we'll move on. It appears that time is fleeting. <laughs> So we shall be frank no further. Mm. We're going to shut up, Evan. Go to an ad break. And I preempted that too. I wrote shut up, Evan (laughs) on my notes because I knew you were going to groan at that. Oh, that was pretty bad. G'day, listeners. Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time, go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, You'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. Oh, how can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep, as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean, to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened. Everybody gathered around. I didn't see one person who wasn't watching. And then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? Whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime. 
But it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows, as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins. But both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own, equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large, white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it, a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead. Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony, and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! I love that idea. I don't know where these ideas come from, but they're there. Do do you speak Spanish? I I, no. Uh, No, actually, I was talking about Aaron. Oh, me? Yeah. Enola Cares. Don't fuck it up. (laughs) Oh, no. I know. Obrigado in Portuguese. Uh, Yeah. Right. So this might take a while to get off the ground, is what I'm saying. Um, El perro de San Roque no tiene rabo porque Ramon Rodriguez solo cortado. I have no idea what that is, but... I think he called you, uh, yeah, no. no. <laughs> it's something about a dog's tail getting cut off. It's something they teach ki- kids in primary school to roll their eyes. Yeah. Oh, there oh, you go. Wow. Shout out to our <laughs> Spanish listeners out there, because I know we do have a few <laughs> listeners in Spain. We're not meaning at all to butcher your language at all. It is... No. comes from a place of love. I've actually got a couple of real questions. Okay, yeah, go. All good. Real quick ones. Yeah, in my research uh, of Rocky Horror, apparently religious protesters still show up from time to time. Have you had any uncomfortable interactions with them or they just stay on their side of the street? They stay on their side of the street, but, you know... Um... You know, they want to come to your side. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the thing is, it's fair. I, I feel like if a, there's a religious protester that's protesting Rocky Horror, I feel like they're 45 years too late. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they're really slow off the mark. So, um, yeah, and these these days, you know, uh, people find it fascinating if there's a religious protester, you know, especially with, a, you know, a, just a, you know, a man in an anorak with a, uh, you know, a little placard. <laughs> I, I think they're a little bit outnumbered these days. So, mm. you know, to be honest, they, they have no threat. So, you know, in many ways, they're quite adorable. Yeah. Right. They've become the oddity. They've become the weird oddity. Yeah. It's completely mm. turned around. And people find them fascinating for being so unusual. Yeah, how strange that is. How cute. So I love them. I, I love them. It's good fun. 
I just I love Westboro because they're crazy. Oh no, they're oh they're a hardcore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um and and the only other the only other real question I have before Aaron gets takes over is um uh, you're you're looking on your Instagram. Your love of makeup is is apparent, and your wolf girl looked amazing. Um, do you have plans for next Halloween, or is that secret? You know what? I haven't planned that far ahead, but time just goes zooms by, so I feel like I should start. Mm-hmm. But thank, thank you for the Wolf Girl. Wolf Girl's my favorite. Once I started looking at your Instagram, I'm like, oh, what did you do for Halloween? And, and yeah, found Wolf Girl. Wolf Girl. So, <laughs> and I'm like, well, what's next? You know, you, you must have some idea. You got to plan ahead for these things. You, you do. Have got to, you have got to plan ahead. Uh, yeah. At the moment, I'm doing kind of 80s rock icons. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I, I'm, I need to come. Uh, my doctor, my doctor who one was a good one too. Did you see the doctor who? Oh one? yes, I did. I did see your Tom Baker, um, covered <laughs> Tom in, Baker. um, was it your cacti, uh, the cactus, cactus episode. There's one for the Whovians. Yep. Yeah. I did see it. It was, it looked amazing. It, it's I'm op- oh. open to suggestions. 80s oh. icons for Halloween. Jesus. 80s rock icons. Tregadar, clearly. Oh, my gosh, yes. It's a bit obscure, <laughs> but does go with Rocky Horror. There's a movie called Trick or Treat where it has a fictional. Oh, um, trick or Treat? No, Trick or Treat. There are two. One's a horror. Yeah, no. Um, it's 80-something, and there's a, there's a, uh, a singer um, in the film called Sammy Kerr who I'm sure has fishnets on. I will have to check right. that, but that would be a great one. I tell you what, if, we, if pretty we, obscure though, pretty obscure. That okay. Well, I look, I look into that, but you know, going along with what we said about the the Welsh group, it could yeah. be Tregedar treat. I, that's yeah, that's a terrible pun that I would come up with, Christian. I am so proud of you right now. This is <laughs> thank you. You you were so worried about what you're going to bring to the table, and you oh. And, and it was worth it just for that one pun. It was. I, I do. I love a good pun. But anyways, what we don't like is an earworm. So what is your most annoying earworm? Oh, oh I, I don't know. I'm immune, I'm immune to earworms because, you know, I sing the same song three times a day for years on end. Oh, what a stupid question, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, my, li- my life is an earworm. That's true. Mm. Okay, well, if you could put yourself into any show currently running on Broadway, which would it be and what role? And I ask this question because Sweeney Todd is not currently running on Broadway. You know, I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, show myself up here, but <laughs> I have no idea what's running on Broadway at the moment. I'm like, I have no idea what's running. Are they even running? Are they back up? I have no idea, and I hoped you would know so that I would know, and I wouldn't have to look it up, but now I don't know. I'm I'm ashamedly one of those people who works in musical theatre but has no idea about what any musical theatre is going on. That's all right. But, we can cross that question up as well. I mean, I no, you can, you can leave it in if you like. I don't care if people don't know. I, I could come up with something random like, I don't know, uh no i can't i can't seriously can't 
No, it, it would ha- it would have to be so it would have to be something quirky and weird. Yeah, because that's all that's all I can do. Yeah, and something that you can use those killer vocals. Speaking of which, that's a good segue from two unanswerable questions. <laughs> we often discuss men with insane vocal ranges on this show because we're talking about heavy metal, and it always leads to often the guest asking or questioning how they maintain their voices reaching such heights. And then we bring up that theatre people do their shows eight times a week and that rock stars could never do their screaming vocals eight shows a week, but you actually are. Yeah. Are you an alien? How do you get through that? <laughs> what is your secret? Can you please share it with the world? A lot of scotch and cigarettes, I'm guessing. There is a secret. There is a secret to it, which yeah. is, you know, because, you know, you have to sound like a rock star, but you have to live like a monk. Yeah, I can imagine. And unfortunately, rock stars live like rock stars. And that's why, you know, even if they do, you know, once every couple of weeks, you know, they can get away with that. But if you don't have to do eight shows a week and the worst show is like a couple of those shows will be matinees. So you have to do it in the middle of the afternoon, which is even worse. So you literally have to live like a monk. Like, you know, if you go out to a party or if you go out to a bar, you're the quiet one in the corner being silent like a weirdo. Yeah, you're the you're the one everyone's questioning. Why is he sitting in the corner? Why isn't he talking to yeah. anyone? What's wrong with him? Yeah, yeah I've, I've been that guy many times. Yeah, <laughs> so I just didn't feel it. That's all. You have to live your life as if you're about to run a marathon race. Yep. Like you know, you have to drink a certain amount of water, and you have to like. That's why I said earlier about being in that room with the you know the mist and the sp- <laughs> it's because that's the only way I can do it. I'm I'm constantly attached to some kind of vaporizing inhaler to. Uh, <laughs> keep myself going but you know sometimes it just doesn't work and you know you'll go to sing a note and you'll go and and you've got to live with that that's fine that's fine yeah well when was the last time that happened of course it probably happened a few weeks ago yeah i mean when you're when you're singing high when you're belting out high b's and c's while also dancing at the same time um you know things like that are going to happen but, you know, it's actually quite hard to not feel guilty about that. Yeah. But uh, you've got to get over yourself. <laughs> you know, um, being so in tune to riffraff so often and being on that train with that vocal stretching, I guess, to then have to jump into a role like Frankenfurter, which is a very different role vocally, especially, is there anything different you do there to work yourself out of riffraff into Frankenfurter? Yeah, it does take a bit of adjusting, and but the the weird thing is if because at the moment I'm I'm covering uh, I'm covering Frank and Verda, so you know it's obviously not my role. So you, you don't the only time I would go on if if somebody was sick. So you might only get like you know an hour's notice to go and do that. So you suddenly got to completely switch over to something you might not have done for months and months and months. Yeah. So it is a complete switch but as as an actor it's like it, it, i think people think oh it must be difficult to do that but it's actually not that difficult it's just the same as the at the end of the show when rocky horror finishes when i go home i don't speak like riffraff i just complete i just switch it off and then oh, i'm really? myself again <laughs> i know oh, I'm so disappointed. I know. sorry i know i one of the one of the things that people people seem most disappointed about when i go to stage door they go oh that wasn't your real hair 
<laughs> I'm surprised that I look at you and go, holy shit, you look like you are 12, Christian, and yet Riff Raff um, looks like he's 85 or something. People often go, I want to go to stage door. Oh, you're, you're, I thought you were old. Yeah. And um, I go, well, well, that's perception, isn't it? You know, some people would think I'm very old. Yeah. Do they, do they ask, is your mum and dad here? Can we, can we speak to them? <laughs> I, I think that would uh, be attributed to hardly ever seeing the sun. Yeah. I think that yeah. that helps. Yeah. Yeah. Being, but I get it. I, funnily enough, I get it a lot. Yeah. Evan's actually 80. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to 50 and, and yeah. People are like, oh, how right. do you not, how do you not have any wrinkles and all that? It's because I've spent 30 years sleeping in the daytime. I don't I, go out yeah. in the sun. And you're dealing with yeah. flour all the time, so your hands would be dry. You don't moisturize. Oh, so. yeah, my hands crack up, yes. Yeah. But See, I moisturize. That's why I look youthful. Literally don't go out in the daytime, not very often, and I haven't done ever since I started work. So, yeah, it, it makes a big difference, yeah. And you'd be the, you'd be the same. You're, you're in a theatre, you know, every day. It is. I'm nocturnal, it's true. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, theatre people are up very, very late. I can... I was actually going to throw that in before about in terms of complacency. That's one thing I, with this show, it doesn't matter who the guest is. I never want that excitement to go away because then I'm not excited about what I'm doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's like all, all guests, I'll, I will be just as excited because if anyone's willing to come on this bloody ridiculous show, then thank you so much. And What's wrong with you people? Anyways. You've had some amazing guests on here. We have. What, what's going on? Oh, my God, fathers. I still don't know. I guess I live in a bubble. It's very impressive. I just annoy people on Twitter, like, please come on my show. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, what have been some noticeable differences in audiences around the world? Because obviously you've done Australia, you've done Asian countries, the UK. Have you done Canada and America yet? Do you know, we haven't done the state. The show doesn't tend to happen very often in America. And I think that's because of all the shadow casts. I think it would go off in America. I think they would really go to town on it. I think they would absolutely love to, you know, there are little productions that happen here and there, but mm -hmm. nothing that on a big scale it tours around. The audiences are completely different everywhere. I've even done Rocky Horror in to non-English speaking audiences. Yeah. Who you go, they have no idea what we're saying. So... Uh, but they know Rocky Horror. That's that's the reach that this has. Oh, I'm sure they would know Rocky Horror. Yeah, totally. Of, totally they yeah. Do. For me, currently, the, the UK audiences are the most extreme. Mm -hmm. And um, it's because they're so well-trained. The, sh the show pretty much almost never stops touring here. Like, yeah. it just goes round and round and round and round. The, the, there's a national tour every couple of years. And um, the audiences... You know, they can, they're still packing out theatres where, you know, you're. it's not unusual for the houses to be full and struggling to get a seat. Yeah. So it, it doesn't um, surprise me, though, because it is British. It's a British. It might be set in America, but it is a British musical. So and it's become such well, it, a, a huge cult that. Yeah, I f it has. It has obviously it has, it has British connections, but, it, you know, it has strong American connections, obviously, because the story that. But also has really strong Australian connections because Jim Sharman and Little Nell, and you know there was, there were really strong Australian connections, and the show continues to be, and 
Australian audiences were, were great and New Zealand audiences, they're all really good. They don't necessarily do as many call-outs. Or if they, do, you know, if there's a handful of call-outs during the show, then even the actors I'm working with go, oh, they're, they're, they're a wild audience tonight. But by British standards, um, that would be our quietest audience. But that doesn't necessarily mean they enjoy it any less. I think uh, they just are not as well attuned to what the call-outs are and what they can be. And it also goes a little bit against uh, theatre etiquette normally. You're not meant to sort of make noise in the audience unless you're clapping. And so um, if you're not used to it, people get a little bit shocked by it. Oh, yeah. Anyways, um, obviously Rocky Horror is about cult cinema and, and we talked about that before. And Faye Ray obviously mentioned who is uh, King Kong is my future husband. What are some of your <laughs> cinematic cult classic guilty pleasures oh um i i do and still do actually i love cry baby yeah awesome. uh but also a big fan of edwards as a hands i love uh fantasy i love kind of fantasy things that take you away from everyday life legend absolutely mm-hmm. dual legend yeah with tom cruise the original june oh yeah that's yeah. a classic. Oh, no, it's a trigger warning. Trigger warning. I got taken to the recent Dune on a first date. Anyone listening to this, do not take somebody to Dune, Dune, however you say it, on a first date. That is a bad idea because there was not a second date after that. So let's <laughs> move on from that one. Sorry. <laughs> I am still traumatized by that four hours. Yeah, no, the original Dune's a classic, absolute classic. Yeah, with um Kyle McLaughlin. Um, yes. un- yeah, un- unfortunately, the special effects don't hold up, but it's still worth watching. Do, yeah. we, do we remember a, t- yeah. a movie called Teen Witch? No, from the eighties with um Robin, mm-hmm. Robin. Um, oh, I know her name, and it was it's part musical. Oh, try to seek it out. It is so camp and wonderful, uh, but in terms of fantasy. The peanut butter solution is one from my childhood that no one seems to remember. I've never heard of that. It's a French-Canadian film. Celine Dion actually does the music for it. This is pre, well and truly before Titanic, and it was in the 80s. It's about a little boy who gets scared shitless and his hair falls out. So they make a peanut butter solution which makes his hair grow back. And then an evil artist tries to kidnap him to steal his hair to make magic paintbrushes with it. It's so wonderful. It's silly and it's... It sounds traumatising. No, well, I don't know. Look, think about it. I grew up with Rocky Horror. (laughs) So it wasn't traumatising. I love Return to Oz and a lot of those sort of darker... Yes. Return to Oz is great. Never-ending story. Mm, yes. That's that's my wife's yep. favorite film. Yeah, they've just done a musical version in Australia, I believe. Uh, moving on, what has been the most backhanded compliment you've received about your work? One that made you go, "Hang on a second, were they complimenting me or what?" Oh, there's probably so many of them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, somebody said to me once, "You are much better than the last person who played the role." And then I was, I was like, when did you see it? And they told me, and I was like, I was the last person who played uh, the role. 
ouch. But you are as only as good as your last performance. So therefore he That's was true. saying that you were better than your last performance this time. So <laughs> it is a backhanded compliment very much so. Yeah. But you know, I'll take I'll take it. I'll yep. take it. Goodness me. Uh now lastly, because um obviously you have got insanely busy schedule, what is your personal industry pet peeve? So not the big things that we keep calling for. What's what's your something that you think the industry could change? I don't I don't know what it's uh like in Australia. Uh and I know it's not it's not so much like this in New Zealand, but in the UK, if you if you are a musical theatre actor, you're not really allowed to do anything else. Like you can't go, you can't go across and do a bit of TV or you can't do a bit of radio. You can't do this. You can, you've just got to, they just like to box you as being a musical theater performer or that person is a TV actor or that person is a film actor. Whereas I, in New Zealand, you can do whatever you like. You can do a bit of this, you can do a, a bit of that. And it gives you lots of variety. But in the UK, that's my pet peeve. They, you're completely stuck in the box. Hannah Waddingham made a deal when she won her Emmy recently that musical theatre performers sell and they're reliable and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I sort of feel like it was a bit of a, well, yes. And how are we having this conversation now, years and years after people like Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly that were such all-rounders in what they did and Hugh Jackman today? Hello, people. Like... I mean, I feel I feel like in in other places, you know, people who are skilled at lots of different things are lauded. Yeah. Like you know, there's always been people in America that you know, Paddy Lapone and and yeah. Maddie Patinkin and all those guys that do a bit of everything. Yeah. But it, it's very rare for that. It, it can happen in the UK if you become a movie or a TV star first. Then you yeah. can definitely go across and do musical theatre. But it can't happen the other way. You can't become a musical theatre person and then become. Uh, obviously there are exceptions to the rule like you know alan cumming like he he's been around for so long now yeah but again he went to the he, he went to the states and his kind of career took off in the states for that yeah. being able to cross over onto television and film he doesn't do many things in the uk do you think it's because there's such an emphasis on straight theater i don't know i don't know i've been analyzing and analyzing it and i think it's a bit silly I, I, i'm just wondering more the 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 ins and outs, like, is it a case of if you're a musical theatre person in the UK, you just don't get auditions or you just don't get picked? You don't get, you don't get auditions. Like, you know, I, I've been, I've been working in the UK on and off for about 10 years and admittedly I have been pretty busy doing, doing the show, hmm. but uh, I haven't had, I haven't had a single TV audition in that time. I noticed that and hmm. I was a little bit disappointed as. But I also think for me to, for me to do that, what I would need to do is actually give up in the first in the UK I would have to go okay I'm not doing any more musical theater and now I yeah. just concentrate on TV and film and I just haven't been quite prepared to do that because I really enjoy working <laughs> 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 I mean that's the great thing about life anything can change can't it yes as we've learned in the past couple of years but <laughs> bloody film TV producers out there listening none of, no one will be but goodness gracious me get onto it because Hannah Waddingham is right, but she's also many years late. Why are we having this conversation now, really? I, I think it's sort of, you know, we should have been having it already, or it, it shouldn't be an issue. Considering the dedication, the the work ethic, the ability for performers, musical theatre performers to 
come in on a Monday morning and be given a full script or a half a script. And by the end of the day, it would be fleshed out. But they've learned that whole bloody thing all day and their movements. And then the next night they're performing it in front of people. You're not seeing film actors do that because one bloody scene takes a week to film. So I think it's stupid. Anyways, I'm not going to get fired up and ruin the show. It has been an absolute honour and a joy having you on this ridiculous little torture chamber. Ivan, did you have any more questions before we let Christian go? No, I, I, I snuck my questions in before you started your, started your usual rants, so no, we're, we're good. I, I'm, I'm actually, I feel sorry for whatever Rocky Horror fan spot I have just taken because, like, you know, I've only just watched it this week. And I'm sure there's mega fans out there that are tearing their hair out that I've got to speak to Christian and they haven't. So I feel privileged. I'm pretty sure any Rocky Horror fan will be just really happy that you're talking about Rocky Horror. Yes, I think so. Well, if they go and Mm. listen to our other episodes, I bring it up a lot on this show and point out that it inspired me to dress up in women's clothing in class. Like I did it in school and I would direct little plays where I would play the witch or the evil queen and stuff like that, like a little boy doing that. And um, it didn't go down well, let's just say that. But even then, like, the kids who were picking on me and bashing me up would then dance to Time Warp at the school disco. So everyone loved mm. Rocky Horror. Yeah, we did it at school. I, I clearly remember it would have been uh, the first year of high school. There was a, a school disco and they were, they were doing a Time Warp, you know, dance competition. I had no idea what it was from. Yeah. <laughs> now you do. They were doing it. Where can people find you on the social medias? Uh, they can find me these days. I, t- I t- tend to stick to Instagram and yeah. uh, you can just find me at christianlavicum.com, but just be aware it's Christian with a K. Yes, it is indeed. Uh, there's nothing else we need to plug, I don't think. Uh, but that's it from us. You take care and we shall see you next time. Hooroo. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving us your face.